How's your sales game been recently? As an entrepreneur and a business owner, I'm learning this pretty early on in the game is that a business can be built around really any service or product. And the main thing to success in business is sales. So it's something that I constantly try to get better at. Do you also have unanswered proposals that you sent and you're afraid to just send that email of just checking in, wondering what's happening with this? So today I got to speak to Yaakov Steinberg and Yaakov is a sales coach, but he doesn't just deal with the unanswered proposal. He's dealing with how to customize an approach for you and your business and your service all the way to the from the stage of who am I trying to attract and what am I trying to say to them? This episode is eye-opening to me that there's really a customizable approach for each person and each business to be able to do sales in a very non-salesy way. So if that's something you're interested in, I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Art of Conversation. I'm Aaron Wolgelinter. And I'm Chaim Simcha. Nowadays, we are constantly communicating and in conversation with everyone around us. We are two extroverts and conversation lovers exploring the depths of human connection, communication, and the soft skills needed on a daily basis. This is the Meta Conversation, a conversation about conversations. So tune in and join the conversation. Okay, so welcome everybody to the Art of Conversation. We have today with us Yaakov Steinberg. Yaakov is a entrepreneur and a sales coach. I think, and seems like he's cracked the code of this black box of outbound sales. We all wait for inbound sales, and we're all waiting for everything to come to us. Um, he's figured it out, and how not to be that uh, salesy salesman. And I think that's something very useful for all of us. Uh, Yaakov, Yaakov believes that selling is about understanding and serving the needs of the customers. He didn't begin his journey with consulting and with coaching, so we're going to talk to him a bit about his journey as well, how he got into sales and sales coaching. So if you're ready to take your sales game to the next level and win more on purpose, then this is definitely an episode you should listen to. So welcome, Yaakov, to the show. Well, thanks very much for having me. It's really exciting to be here, and I'm really looking forward to uh, getting into this conversation and uh, educating people on what it means to uh, sell in a different way. So obviously sales now is on your, on your mind and on all of our minds, but it's obviously on your mind in that way. And, uh, but just take me through, like, was sales always on your mind? Was this something that you've, you were selling lemonade as a kid and it just turned into this? So it's, it, I have definitely been in sales since I was a kid. Um, the way I tell the story, uh, and it is a true story, um, I sold, my parents love telling this, but when I was five years old, uh, I sold a secondhand pair of sunglasses to a classmate for five dollars. Uh, they made me give back the money, but let's just say it started young. Um, but you made the there, sale. You made the sale. Uh, we made That's the sale. Counts. That's it. Yes, they made me give back the money before I knew what integrity was. <laughs> but uh, listen, one man's trash is another man's treasure. So I guess it, I guess it had some value. Um, from there, I, I always jumped to high school. I mean, when I was um, growing up, I had to, in my high school years, start paying attention to psychology and understanding who did people want to hang around with and what did they want to see from those individuals and what were those people doing that made them so popular. And what I quickly realized was that people were able to 
I'm not going to use the word manipulate because it's not the right word, but they were able to influence others in the way that they spoke to them and the way that they, they carried themselves. Um, and that really got me turned on to the idea of the psychology of sales and, what, and the psychology of people, really, which is what sales really is. It's about human-to-human relationships. Um, from there, what I ended up doing, um, I actually got turned on to the idea during those years of going into education um, and chinuch as actually a way of selling the youth on their potential and giving them a chance to really buy into what they could be, what could be possible for them. Um, and I did that successfully for about five, six years once I went into the workforce, um, whether it was helping kids at risk, mentoring, tutoring in the classroom in elementary school and high school administration. Um, I really made my way around the, the block. Um, at about five, six years in, though, stagnant teaching salary, growing family, just came time to go into sales proper. Um, when I finally did, uh, the first 12 months that I was in sales uh, for the first company, I was already bringing in 20% of their monthly recurring revenue. Um, and that same time, they had a free trial to paying customer. So I upped that trial adoption ratio also by about 400% in that first 12 months. Um, very quickly, within two and a half years after becoming their VP of sales, I became their director of sales and business development. And by the time three and a half years rolled around and it was time for me to move on, I had already brought them 100 plus individual accounts under my own name, worked on business development for them, sales teams, um, and just went on from there. I started consulting and coaching on the side as I moved on to other opportunities. And then at the end of 2019, uh, my clients were just seeing big results, pushed me to go all in, which I did at the beginning of 2020. And I've been full time ever since. It really gives me the Ability of bringing my three passions together, sales, teaching, and helping people. And it kind of all comes together in this, in this one place. Cool. And so the, the cool part is that it was actually experience. It wasn't just, it's not just theory. A lot of times you get like these uh, theories, this is how it's going to work. This is how it could work. This is what you should be doing. But we've never done it. Whereas you're in the trenches you've, uh, from a young age, but just <laughs> even from, uh, from a practical sense, uh, you've actually done it. So that I'm sure that brings a lot to the table when you coach people. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it, I always find it interesting. A lot of people come to me. There, there are some really good coaches out there. Um, and there are differences between business coaches and sales coaches. And I'm, I'm sure we'll end up getting into that. But one of the things that I've noticed really quickly on was that people are looking for implementation more than anything else when it comes to coaching. Meaning a lot of people, they say, hey, you know, you need to do this, you need to change this and different things. But then they tell them, okay, so now go and make a bunch of calls. I had this conversation with someone just the other day and they were like, I don't know who to talk to. I don't even know where to start, right? And, and I always say like one of the first things that people need to have an understanding of is who do they need to talk to? Where are they gonna find them? What do they need to say to them? And how do they need to say it? Right. And that boils down to the implementation factor and integration into their own processes of helping them to understand what they actually need to do to even just make a call. Right. How do you make a cold call to someone? What are the process you need to go through to do that? And having done it myself and I still continue to do it till today, um, I, I still make cold calls for my own business because I need to stay in the game if I want to be able to help my own students to be you know, successful at what they're doing and helping them to move forward. Theory isn't good enough. Um, if I'm not living it myself, if I'm not doing it myself, if I'm not constantly working on my own game, so then I'm going to just fall behind and I'm not going to be in the same you know, level that anybody today is, which is going to affect my own students' ability to perform. So that's super interesting. Um, and just an interesting question. What is your process when you jump on a cold call? Walk us through it. So it's a very good question. When it comes to having a, a cold call, the, one of the most important things is interrupting their pattern. 
right? If I'm going to call and be like every other person out there and just, you know, what used to work 20 years ago is to just shove a pitch down someone's throat. And it didn't work because it was good. It worked because people were willing to let you do that, even though you were literally running them over, <laughs> which is not a good tactic. Um, but it's really about interrupting them in a way that they're going to appreciate, right? So one of the things that I like to do if I'm going to make a cold call, depending on what I'm doing it for, right? So if I'm doing it for myself, it's going to be slightly different than this. Um, but I might just, you know, one of the openers I personally like is I'll call and say, hey, my name is Yaakov. This is a cold call. But good news, I'm not calling about a timeshare or your car's extended warranty. Can you give me 30 seconds to tell you why I chose to call you today? Now, what I'm doing by that is a couple of different things. One, I'm being extremely honest. We don't know each other. This is a cold call. I'm not trying to hide that fact from you. Two is I'm making them smile or laugh out loud in the sense that everybody has gotten these types of calls. Nobody likes them. And I'm saying, hey, it's good news. I'm at least not calling about that. And so the third aspect of that is the permission-based opener. I'm asking permission, can I have 30 seconds of your time? Which generally, you're only asking for 30 seconds, and in those 30 seconds, you need to show why you actually chose to call them, which is that last part there, extremely intentional. Um, and as long as you can prove in those 30 seconds that you actually chose to call them and you understand what's going on on their side of the line, they'll be willing to either set up another time to have a meeting with you or they'll be willing to let you go. As long as you're intentional, you're truthful and honest about the conversation. So usually once I get through that opener and they give me those 30 seconds, I'll ask them a couple of questions that will really show that I you know, understand who they are and what they're going through. And then I'll stop after I've hit those 30 seconds or a minute, depending on how much I'm asking them for. And I'll say, okay, listen, we've hit that marker. Do you want to have another conversation? Where do you want to go from here? Right. So either I'll, you know, depending on their response and their realization that this person knows what they're talking about, either I'll ask them if they want to schedule a meeting or they want to continue. Um, and by doing that, you're, although you're to a certain extent, what we would be calling controlling the call by asking them the questions, you're giving the control of their, into their hands of allowing the conversation to move forward. So they feel comfortable whereby I'm really taking the cold out of the call is my entire, you know, purpose of that first part and just allowing it to be a phone call, human to human interaction, showing them, Hey, I understand you have pain. I understand you're going through something or I'm introducing an idea they've never heard of before. And through that, we can now have a conversation about that. I love how on your, this process that you're spelling out comes out so clear also on your Calendly link from your LinkedIn Yes, is that if you click through on your LinkedIn profile and then it says, you know, your classic Calendly link to book a book a time to talk. It says, and I'll just read it because I think it's this whole process. It says, this meeting is for the two of us to get to know each other and see if we want to spend the rest of our lives together in coaching matrimony. Just kidding. Don't worry. Now you've broken that. You've done exactly what you said you do on the phone. Um, you've done that through that that line as well. It's that's it's cool to see the process repeat itself. Yeah, it's interesting because at the end of the day, in, in any process that you choose to follow, you need to be yourself. Right. And, and we all have heard so many people talk about authenticity and this magic word and whatever it really means. But at the end of the day, if you're not being you, well, everyone else is taken. So if you're not going to be you, who will be? And you need to attract your crowd. You need to attract the people that are going to be interested in talking to you. So I've had people tell me, hey, can I be, you know, I've said, you know, give me some feedback when I first started doing that. And they were like, sure, you want my honest feedback? <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's that's what I'm asking you for. So I've had people say that it's creepy, which I'm okay with. And I've had people say that they loved it, right? But I'm not for everyone. So if you're not going to listen, I can give you other approaches. You don't need to be me. And some of them will schedule it anyways, right? Otherwise, I wouldn't have been on a call with them. But at the end of the day, if you're not being you and allowing that side of you to show 
in your calls and your communications with people, well, then you're losing a massive factor that, that you have to your advantage. And you're just losing that and giving it up because I don't want to scare people away. Well, if they're, if they're for you, then they're going to come anyways. Right. So it's like so many people, they get scared off by this idea of I need to, you know, be more uppity in the front of the call. And then only after they become a client, I'm going to give them white glove treatment, <laughs> do it on the front. And then they'll be more excited to talk to you. So that's so interesting, Yaakov, that we're obviously going to get deeper into that sales call. There's more to making the sale than just the beginning and just that initial initial hit and the initial icebreaker, as you as you may. But that's so important when it comes to communication and conversation is just taking permission, like you mentioned, and uh, you know, being making fun of yourself a little bit, making it making it light, knowing what the person their fears are. Like, there's so much in that first the first line that you say that um, just overlaps so much and is so much of the conversation about communication. Exactly. I mean, communication at the end of the day is is two people coming together to connect, right? And it's a question of when whenever we say communication, right? What we're really saying is connection. Right. So two humans coming together to connect over an ideal, over a thought or even in a debate. Right. It's about the the willingness to share ideation and ideas that allows us to communicate with each other. Right. So as long as have you seen any debates recently? Have I seen debates recently? Not in a long time. Yeah, I know it, it's changed. The real debate not about connecting. It's not about connecting from, from back when we had like debate coaches in high school like it's it's changed to today where it's just screaming at each other but once upon a time what real debate still means today and what it used to mean was where people were connecting and whether or not they agreed with each other they could learn how to listen to each other's ideas without killing each other afterwards right we can agree to disagree but i'm willing to hear you out and hear your viewpoint and see if it'll change mine and if you're confident enough and you're then you'll be able to get through a debate Right? That's the whole. That's what the point is supposed to be. Um, but that being said, at the end of the day, if you can understand people and you can meet them where they are, and give them an experience as opposed to a pitch, then you're creating a very different experience for them and and a and a conversation for them that they might have never had before. Right. So many people they come into a conversation with ulterior motives that they have things that they want to get through in that call. Right. And it's not necessarily about the other person. And that's the first mistake. Right. If you're willing to listen and not just hear, I always used to say when I would speak to my own team back at, at that first company, it's I always say to them, listen, don't hear. Right. Listening. And I would explain. Listen is where it takes a pit stop in the middle before it goes out the other side. Hearing it goes in, just goes straight out the other side. You're not even listening to what the other person has to say. And by doing that, you're just thinking of what my response is going to be. You're not being present in the moment and you're not actually able to really feel where the other person is coming from. Right? And the better we get at listening, the better we can actually communicate with the other person because we understand where they're coming from. Sorry to cut in. Aaron was smiling because we actually have a whole episode about that exact point. Um, but an interesting question. So what is the bottom line of sales? Because I, we're all from America here. Um, Lots of Americans are very into got to get the sales, hit the quotas, hit the numbers, get it done. And Q2, Q3, yeah, these, this year. Now that is, in essence, if what you're saying, it's that's then you're getting on a call, in essence, in order to, like we said in the beginning, manipulate people. You want a certain outcome. You want to get them towards that outcome. 
But what you're saying now is getting on calls with no ulterior motives, in essence, that kind of contradicts. So how does it work? So sales today, unfortunately, um, has become very far removed from what it's supposed to be. Um, and um, Dale Dupree from the Sales Rebellion talks about this all the time. I'm a student of the Rebellion. At the end of the day, when 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 we 100%, when we realize that it's not, yes, okay, do I want to set a meeting? Do I want to help this person? But it's about service. It's about having a servant mindset, right? He, he made a post recently, and some of the things that he pointed out were it's about giving people an experience, not a pitch. It's about doing interrupt marketing in a way that people are going to appreciate, meeting people where they are, um, causing undeniable curiosity, um, emotional context, being pleasantly persistent, and just connecting with people, right? Seeking to serve them as opposed to, you know, just trying to get something out of it, fixing problems for them, and just all, all around doing something different than what the status quo is. And sales today is very much falling in line with this idea that you need to hit quota and you need to do this and you need to do that. And it's unfortunate that they're pushing people into a corner where they can't or they won't be more open-minded and more creative about how they can affect change and serve the people they're trying to serve. Instead, it's more about themselves, right? So a big part of what the sales rebellion and what my own, you know, what I'm trying to do as well as a sales coach is to push back against that status quo and say, hey, wait a minute, we can do things differently. And you can't invite people into your own world as opposed to trying to push yours onto them, right? Invite them in, right? I always give an example and I gave this at um, a LinkedIn meetup that me and Chaim Simcha met the other day, where Josh Braun talks about the zone of resistance, right? And I, I like to explain it with an analogy whereby you're trying to get to a specific store, right? Let's say it's a high-end store, uh, clothing store, right? It takes an hour and a half to get there. You drive around part, the parking lot for about 30 minutes till you finally find a spot. You find a spot, you park, you go inside, and the salesperson, right, the person at the front of the store says to you, hey, thanks so much for coming. How can I help you? And the first thing we do is, I'm good. Thanks so much. Why do we do that? Right? So if they were to break it down for you and say, okay, so one second, you drove an hour and a half to get here, and you drove half an hour around the parking lot to find the spot, but you're just looking, right? <laughs> It sounds a little funny, like it doesn't make any sense. But if that person instead, and then I'll come back to what's actually happening there, if that person instead would have said, hey, I'm over here folding some search for some shirts, welcome to the store, let me know if you need anything. We're like, yeah, do you have this in blue? Right? Why are we so much more open to that idea? It's because one invited us into their world, and the other one tried to push theirs onto us. And we know a pitch is coming, so we're just like, nah, I'm good. I don't want any help. I might need it, but I, I don't. I don't want it because I don't. I want to buy. I don't want to be sold. And the second person offered you to come into their world and invited you in, and you're much more open to that possibility because you don't feel like anybody's selling you, right? So the 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 old school mentality of 20 years ago, which is still very prevalent today in places where you know you're making a ridiculous amount of calls and it's about qu quantity versus quality. So it's all about just you know hit the numbers, hit the numbers, and you gotta you know this and. It, it takes the whole humanness out of it. It's just transactional as opposed to an actual human-to-human -human interaction whereby you can create amazing relationships on a first call when you're open to serving people and sometimes telling them, oh, you know what? I think you'll be better off doing this rather than using my service based on what I've heard today. What are what are some like red flags that you see when, when we say salesy? Like what are, what are red flags on that call? 
So I always use the analogy when I use salesy as a used car salesperson. Um, The funny thing is one of my students from my teaching days is a used car salesperson today, but he doesn't sell like one. (laughs) He actually is, you know, straight and he just wants to help people. And the difference between him and other people within that space that I've even noticed, and you could see even a used car salesperson cannot be a used car salesperson, um, it's really about service more than anything else. He truly wants to just help people. And one of the biggest red flags that any customer is going to see when someone is talking to them is going to be when someone starts pushing their ideas onto them, right? And it's, it's going to happen right at the beginning when they start pitching them, right? I would much rather find out about the other person I'm talking about, I'm talking to, rather than pitch my idea to them. And the way to do that is by asking good questions in the right way, and by really understanding the right order of how to ask those questions. And you're not even talking about yourself at that point. You're just asking information from them to understand who are they, where are they coming from, do they have the, the pain points that you think they have that is the whole reason you set out to serve them to begin with. So when someone does the opposite of that and they're just being transactional about it, so give me some numbers. Okay, so tell me this and tell me that and tell me the other thing. When they're just in it for certain information, they're just trying to set an appointment and they just want to get you on their calendar and they just want to send you a link, it's the same problem we talk about on LinkedIn all the time where people are pitch slapping and throwing calendar invites left, right, and center and nobody's biting. And you have like that one guy that's just like curious. <laughs> but other than that, nobody else is doing anything. Like I've called people out. They like they message me and I'm like, I'm just curious. I happen to not be in the right you know market for this for you because of A, B, and C. But is this working for you? Does this ever work? Has it ever worked? I've had people tell me yes, and I've had others say, oh, I'm so sorry, and they're human about it, to which I'll offer them some help. <laughs> like, just because, like, hey, dude, like, you can do this so much better if you're really here to help people, get some help. Like, you can do better than that. It's interesting that you mentioned that. I had that happen twice, I think, with four. I have tens of times or more, and like a week after they connected on LinkedIn, like, they're still starting out and there were and in the beginning sometimes like i, I used to get pissed off and, I, and then i was just, i was just like i took 30 seconds sent a voice note and i'm like dude you might be doing this a little wrong try to do x y and z look at this this is what they're doing this is how you should be doing it and both times they came back they're like oh thank you so much appreciate it it's like because bottom line you're helping people with their business. They don't necessarily know what they're doing. Um, somebody walks into, people don't get the analogy very well. LinkedIn, who all three of us, I guess, uh, pretty much love and live on. Live on. Um, live on, exactly. Um, yeah, I went to Threads for a bit and then not. Uh, it, it's kind of sad to say this right after the Threads episode, but yeah, it's, um, I'm actually looking into Twitter again. Which is terrifying because the um, the level of hate there is, is also which is no longer Twitter. So. But back to, I know it's X. But um, let's get back to a second. What um, a question that I had, Yaakov. What you're mentioning is is being human. So human to human selling, which I love. It's all about relationships. It's all about the people. It's schmoozing. It's literally what I do, basically all day every day. Um, now the biggest issue with that is if you're, and again, this is what I see, correct me if I'm wrong. If your item isn't high ticket enough, 
you're spending way too much time selling it and too many touch points selling it, which means at a certain level, it's not scalable. So how do you make that? And again, I'm not, I am very much for these relationships. This is what I truly love doing, creating those relationships. But how do you make that effective in a sales organization, in a business? So it's a great question. It really, every organization or business is going to be different in how they're going to be able to implement that properly. Um, but if they're having interactions with people, that's where the change is going to take place, right? So people are having interactions every day, whether they're selling a five fifty thousand dollars item or they're selling a $5 item. There's an interaction somewhere along the way, right? Even from a simple Calendly link, like Aaron pointed out earlier, there's an interaction there. They, they saw a human connection as opposed to, you know, I'm looking forward to meeting with you on this Zoom and getting to know each other better, which is what pretty much every other Calendly says. Mine doesn't say that. And when you take the next steps to go through my Calendly, all the other questions are the same thing, right? It doesn't say, hey, just have a one-on-one -on -one with me. It goes to say, have a one-on-one -on -one and let's spend some quality time together. It says group coaching. I want to spend time with awesome people like me. It goes through, you know, questions at the end. You know, is there anything else you want to tell me about yourself? Like, you know, are you allergic to chocolate? Are you allergic to polar bears? You love chocolate and orange is your favorite color. It happens to be the least favorite color according to Google. Um, and like, it's just... It's going to make them laugh. It's different. It's something that is not what people are expecting when they go through that process. Yes. And that is you. And that's great. How do you scale that to an organization? So let's say you have a startup, which is selling SaaS software. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're selling a $5 item, then it's going to be totally automated. Correct. There's not going to be any customer service. And I get that. When, you have, when you're selling a $12,000 software a year, that's... In the middle, it's not huge. It's not so they have a team of salespeople. When you're selling a hundred thousand dollars software, yes, you have somebody who's going to be doing their their those touch points. He's going to be flying out. He's going to be meeting. He's going to be doing presentations. But when you're in that middle area, how do you make that scalable? How do you make it worth it? Because bottom line, if they're paying salespeople to get it done. They've got to get it done, which is why they talk about quotas, which is why I just heard about startups that fired their whole sales staff because of quotas. And I'm like, yeah, you give me half a year on LinkedIn, all of this will be inbound. You just have somebody who's, who knows how to smile over the phone and it'll be, it'll be done, literally. But whatever. So I've been involved in organizations um, within the SaaS space, right? So I'll give you an example from, from the tech space. They were selling a... To uh, let's say three hundred dollar um, item, uh, a service, and um, it was a monthly retainer. Three hundred dollars. Three hundred dollars a month. So in that case scenario, just from the the financial aspect of it, right? So there's going to be some sort of base salary sometimes that they're going to give over, but then there's also going to be the commissions, right? So that could be a certain amount every single month that they're going to give them, or it's going to be you know a certain amount upfront plus. Whatever the package is there that they're gonna you know do anything less than that is gonna end up pretty much automated, right? Which is very transactional. It's all gonna be about the marketing and how they're willing to be human within that marketing. But it, already from that three hundred dollars, let's say and up, they were talking to people. They were calling them and they were setting up meetings because at the end of the day, it's set it and forget it, right? This is a software that they're expecting them to use for the next however many years. It's worth it for them to have a salesperson call these offices up talk to them on the phone, 
go through the touch points in order to get them to a point that they're going to sign up for $300 a month for the next five years or whatever it's going to be, right? And it's going to be a month-by-month contract or they're going to lock them in depending on the company. But again, in, in those interactions, and even if it's over direct messaging on LinkedIn, right? The human, it's all based on the mindset of where it starts from. And if the mindset that they set out with these salespeople is from a place of service that they want to help these other people as opposed to hit numbers, they're going to hit those numbers. It's, it's, it's within the facts. It's just how it works. When you're out to serve people, people want to be served by you and you're standing apart from everyone else that's doing the exact same thing, but they're being transactional about it. They're going to feel the difference, right? I'll give you a great example. I have a client in the credit card processing field, extremely transactional space. Right, so how is he going to be different than everyone else out there? Well, he had white glove service on the back end, where when once a client came in, they got service like they'd never gotten before. They called him whenever they wanted, and he helped them with all types of things that he shouldn't have been doing from a business perspective so that he could give them amazing service. So one of the first things we spoke about was give that white glove service on the front. As soon as you go to someone treat them right then and there the same way that you're treating the people after they become clients and we worked on a whole process for that and and it's extremely transactional space he got to the point where one of the internet marketing things that we did was he had a huge account he wanted to go after and they were doing this is in america so it was around christmas time and they were doing a um a drive for gifts to give to the needy so he got a U-Haul. This was the idea. Get a U-Haul, get big boxes. On the outside, put his marketing, because at this point, we'd also gotten him personally branded. He put his marketing, the idea was to put his marketing around the outside of the box, put a white paper on the inside with just information that was of value in every single box, and put a huge doll, bear, anything that was just going to be big space. And bring this U-Haul to them. Don't say a word about the services and just give them an experience they'd never gotten before. And it worked wonders, right? And it doesn't need to be this big extravagant thing. Like I've had colleagues that sent a Utah-shaped cutting board to a VP of sales in Utah with his name etched across the front and a postcard on the front of it that said any, all the buzzwords in the industry in the back. It said, I'm hoping we can use this carving board to carve out some time for us to talk. If I say any of the words on the front of the card, yell bingo, and you can hang up on me, ha, looking forward to revealing my identity at the right time. Dun, 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 didn't even sign the card. And by the, like the fifth touch, when he actually connected with the person, he was like, I've got 30 minutes for you Tuesday at 3 p.m. I haven't looked at anything you sent me. Let's talk. Because he gave him an experience that wasn't about bribing him. It was about believing this individual deserves to be treated in a better way than anybody else has ever treated him. And he went with it. And it moves mountains. So a couple of things I'm hearing here. First of all, um, do things that don't scale. That's a big thing. It's you do things that don't scale, um, that, that they actually make an effect. And I think Gary Vee talks about this a lot, about understanding what the people like. I just had a conversation with somebody who doesn't agree with me politically, religiously, or just about anything else. Um, and we talked about dogs. More specifically, Rhodesian Ridgebacks. And I've never heard of that. And it was it was fantastic, and it's really cool because it's a huge dog. Whatever it was, a, it was a really interesting conversation. But you talk to people about what they like to talk about. It's meeting them where they are. Exactly. 
it can be scaled from an interrupt marketing perspective because every salesperson needs to be their own marketer. So from the interrupt marketing, if you're going to do things like sending out a Utah-shaped cutting board, that's a $50 item, right? But you don't have to go that far. You can send out, like in the sales rebellion, they talk about the crumpled letter, right? You can send that out, and that can be done at scale, right? If you're sending out in marketing material in the right way, you'll pique curiosity, which is undeniable curiosity that'll almost force them to want to talk to you because who the heck is this guy? I need to talk to him. Interesting. I was just listening to a podcast. This is where I get all my information from the podcast I edit. But I was listening to a podcast and the guy had created a robot to do handwritten letters, like you're saying. Like, But it's so precise that it's not precise and that it, it shakes its hand and the robot, it doesn't, it's different it's every time. You can you put in who it is, what it is. And and it's different every time, and it's handwritten letters to uh, to to prospects. It's incredible. So that's really smart. I, I know it's not scalable. I understand your question, Chaim Sucha, but I'm just saying it is. There is a, an element of there's it that, a limit to how much you can scale it for sure. I get it. No, but the the point is, if you do things that don't scale, and and again, I don't. I never toot my own horn. Before Rosh Hashanah, before the Jewish New Year, I think it was like two years ago. I sat down, and I went through my WhatsApp contacts. And I just started sending videos. And every single person sends along the same Shana Tova. We're wishing you a Shana Tova and a little, and they're sending it to everyone and they're putting it on and they're automating it. And I sat down and I recorded and it was 20 second, 30 second videos, not nothing, but I sat down and recorded. It, it was hours. I probably sat for two hours twice. And the response that I got, I literally got from one person, yo, love you, bro. And, and it's like, it's mind boggling. And that's why I'm saying the things that don't scale are the things that people remember. The things that you actually personalize and you put thought into. Remembering somebody's favorite bottle of wine, his, the whiskey, remembering their wife's name, remembering the fact that, oh, his daughter was in treatment for something. You reach out and ask, oh, how's your daughter? That you, those touch points are super, super, super important. Um, which brings me to my next question about touch points. Because this is interesting that I've actually had. Would you suggest, instead of having these cold calls, would you suggest people do this, these same touch points on social media? On LinkedIn, for example. So the answer is yes. Um, each method has its benefits, right? So LinkedIn, I, I do the same thing on LinkedIn. Um, I try to do a certain amount of cold calls every day and a certain amount of touch points on LinkedIn every day or social media, WhatsApp, whatever it might be. Um, but at the end of the day, one process could potentially take longer than the other, right? So for LinkedIn, when you're not, there's five levels of communication, I always say, right? I'll explain it in this way. So there's in-person because you're going to have not just the energy and you're going to be able to have the audio and you're going to be able to see the body language. There's also aura and other things that are involved that are going to be in person. Then there's going to be a Zoom call because at least you have the visuals. You can see their body language. You can hear them and everything else. You're going to move down then to a phone call because you have the audio still. Then it goes into direct messaging because at least I can send an audio. But even if I'm in just text mode, it's conversational. And then it'll be email because it's more corporate and pretty much people don't use that like texting. Right. So it's, it's, it's all the way in the bottom of the food chain. 
direct messaging is right there um, in conversation mode still, right? So even though it's second to the bottom and a phone call is one on top of that, so you can have a conversation with someone where you're able to influence them to let you in, right? Not influence them for manipulation or even ethical persuasion. You want to influence them to allow themselves to invite you in to serve them. And when you're on a phone call, you're able to do that at a much higher level, a higher frequency than when you're in a direct message. But that being said, direct message definitely has its place in this conversation. Because if you're able to do that within a direct message, which I, I help my clients do as well, and get into the understanding of how do you use the direct messaging on LinkedIn in the right way, not just their profile, not just their posts, but the direct messages are extremely high turnover when you understand how to use them properly to be able to connect with someone else. Right? And the benefit that someone else might have over a cold call is they can hide behind the screen. Is the goal of the direct message to sell? Is the goal of the, the direct message to deepen a relationship? Is the goal, what, what is the goal of a direct message? What's the next touch point? It's a great question. So in general, we have a goal in our mind, even though that's not what we're pushing for, right? So the goal definitely is to create a relationship that they're willing to either get on a Zoom call or a phone call. You're not going to necessarily... Most people, I should say, are not going to sell directly in a direct message. It's very, very rare that someone can pull that off, depending on what it is that they're selling. With that in mind, the idea is more to start off in a more personalized manner, and I can give you know actual steps to this, but it's starting off more personal. Hey, I saw your post. I love what you were speaking about, specifically this. And then from there, shifting over into a business conversation because we're all here for business on LinkedIn. And therefore, when you're moving that conversation into a place whereby, you know, now you're saying, hey, how did you get into this? And you're being curious about them and giving them a place that they can stand up and give information. Everyone likes to talk about themselves. Give them a soapbox. Let them talk. Right. And when they talk about themselves, they're going to go through those three steps of no like and trust where they're going to be interested in having a conversation with you, which ultimately will deepen a relationship and eventually allow them to be open to the idea of talking to you on a phone call or in a Zoom meeting so that you can talk to them about how you think you can make their lives better. Or over coffee. Or over coffee. But yes, um, it's, it's very good. So if I'm hearing correctly, basically the goal is the, the process is to have these touch points. The touch point gets to another touch point, a deeper connection, and then ultimately to get to a relationship. Correct. Then relationship, you're, show, you're either showcasing what you have, whether they like it or not, that's all, always up to them. Is that basically like the framework? More or less, yes. Because at the end of the day, if you don't have that relationship first, it's transactional. You're just trying True. to get them to buy a service from you, buy a website, whatever it might be, as opposed to when you're actively interested in what in about them and you're actively listening to them and you're allowing them to have a place that most people aren't giving them that space, well, they're going to feel touched by you and they're going to feel interested in having that conversation where they're going to be able to be open to the idea of getting help that they have been pushing off for six months to who knows how many years. Nice. So I'll tell you, I personally, I'm, like I said, I'm a very, very big believer in relationships. Just had a guy, um, they raised, I think, $7 million. They're an AI company, a very cool AI company. He reached out. We had met on one of his failed startups like seven years ago 
And he reached out on LinkedIn and said, hey, what's up? We should meet. And we, I went, I met, I met him at, um, at an event. But the, they, they say that people won't remember what you talked about. They'll remember how you made them feel. So if you have, leave a good feeling, people will reconnect even after five, six, seven years, whatever it is. Um, but here, and, and that means like, so for me personally, people in the tech world, people in Israeli real estate, whatever it is, they will always be getting to an, a bigger and better place. And they still remember you like in their next place. So the guy who you schmoozed with now, he's whatever business development. In three years, he's the CEO of a company that just raised $7 million. Um, and it just, it's interesting about, like you said, about building those relationships. But if somebody's starting out and he's doing sales, and he's not looking at long-term, big picture. How do you suggest he do solid, drill down right now, getting it done? So there's a couple of different things. The first thing is he, he needs to work on, on mindset to understand who he's talking to. What is it that's you know interesting to them and really understanding the ideal client profile he's talking to. Right? That's the first thing. Know who. Who are you trying to talk to? Right now, by understanding the who, you need to have a clear understanding of not just their demographic, right, which is what most people focus on. They focus on the demographic. It's really the psychographic, which is where the magic happens. It's what are their deepest needs, desires, fears. Um, and in, in my group coaching, I'm actually, that's what we're going to be focusing on today um, in our session, because at the end of the day, if you don't, if you're not able to put yourself into their shoes, and feel the feelings that they feel, you're not going to give that over to them. And if they don't feel that from you, the level that you can delve deeper and dive deeper in to the process with them will be minimized because of that. Right? So the first level is understanding the who. Right? Then it's figuring out where are you going to find these people? Or alternatively, who knows where you're going to find these people? Who knows these people? Right? So a big mistake a lot of people make that I've seen over the years is they just focus on the individual they're trying to talk to, their direct person that they want to speak to. When in reality, sometimes it's pretty hard to find those types of people, especially on LinkedIn. There are lots of people that struggle with finding their exact client on LinkedIn, but there are people that are in front of their direct client on LinkedIn, right? Whether it's someone who's in financial uh, uh, education and he wants to, you know, in, in educate people about how to, how to better their finances, you are going to have a really difficult time trying to direct message someone and get them to use your services. Whereas if you're speaking to people that are coaches or people that are business coaches or accountants or other types of bookkeepers or whatever that are in front of those people, they can give that information further to their clientele and say, hey, I recently met with this person. I've spoken to him a bunch of times or whatever it is. I don't know if it's worth your time, but I think it might you know, be worth a five minute conversation to see if this person could benefit you and your business, right? So that is another methodology they can use, right? So that's the where, where are the people you want to talk to? Where are they located? Where are they focused? Is it on social media? Is it in person? Is it at events, etc.? Then it's going to be, what do you need to say to them? Right? What is going to be exciting to them? Right? And that goes back to once they've done the homework on their ideal client profile, their ICP, they're going to know what matters to them and thereby give them the information that they can give over on a call on an inter excuse me on an interaction what it is that the other person is going to be interested in hearing right because they don't want to hear about you nobody cares about you and me they care about how are they going to be benefited how are you going to make my life better how how am i going to be benefited by whatever it is that you have to give me 
right? And ultimately, that'll make my life better and it'll make me happy, right? So then I'm willing to talk to you. And then it's how you're going to say it, right? So that boils down to whether they're using scripts, having a clear understanding of that script so that they're not being robotic about it and they're able to parry and shift and move and do some fancy footwork to, you know, move around a question to ask a different question. If it, you know, might sour the conversation all of a sudden and not just like, you know, be completely zoned in on this one particular thing. I have to say this thing, otherwise I'm going to get it over the head. Don't say it. Say something else. Figure out a different way to say it. How do you say that I want to know more about you without saying I want to know more about you? Right. So there are, there are, that's going to go into the how you're going to say it. And ultimately, I mean, that we can break down the six steps of a discovery call and how they're going to do it on, like, on that first interaction, um, whether it's a cold call or a discovery call that you've set up already. Um, the steps are pretty much going to be you know, quite similar, if not the same. And that's ultimately how they're going to be able to move through this process in a, in a much easier way. I love how you spell that out. We're going to have to have a whole nother episode just on uh, really spelling out each part because there is so much involved. Like you, you, it's not just the call. It's also the the ICP in the beginning and it's figuring out. And then there's obviously the follow up and the ghosting. You know, there's so much to, to making that sale go through. But Yaakov, I wanted to I wanted to ask you on our way out here. I wanted to ask you, who are people that you follow on LinkedIn? A lot of our listeners are on LinkedIn. They all struggle with a lot of the issues you brought up today, myself included, as I blame it on everyone else. But the uh, who, who are people that you follow to get better at sales, to get better at LinkedIn, to get better at whether it be professional development or personal development, who are people you follow on LinkedIn? So definitely top of the list um, is going to be Dale Dupree. Um, he has a very different way of going about you know, the standard sales process. Um, and I am a student of the rebellion as well. And I shamelessly, you know, I'm going to give that, that shout out. Um, next would be Josh Braun. Um, if we're specifically talking about sales coaches and Marcus Chan, um, Josh Braun has a very different approach also into how he talks about cold calls. He talks about emails a lot. Um, but he has a very different approach as well into poking the bear. He calls it and verbal Aikido, as opposed to just, you know, trying to ram your way through a sale. Um, and Marcus also, he has a very different approach. Some of the things that I spoke about, like going into the psychographics, Marcus talks about that all the time in terms of, you know, the whisperer test, as he calls it, um, and really getting someone to the point where they're willing to stand up from a, a meal they're having with their spouse at a restaurant by you whispering in their ear and saying, hey, I know you're struggling with this and X is giving you the most stress ever and this just makes you want to quit. I can help you with that. And they're just going to like stand up and walk away so they could talk to you because like you're just in their head. Um, so those are definitely the top three people that I would I would point people to. Um, there are definitely others like um, Bilal Trelawney, I think is his last name. Uh, there's uh, Will Aitken. There's a couple of other pretty good people that are trying to make a shift um, on the platform as well from a marketing and, and LinkedIn perspective um, and sales. Um, but yeah, those are definitely going to be the top three. Amazing. So how can people find you and uh, and what can you do for them? How can you help people? So they can definitely find me on LinkedIn. Um, we're in the middle of creating a, a website, so that's going to take some time. Um, but they can find me on LinkedIn. Um, my LinkedIn profile can be found at linkedin.com forward slash Yaakov Steinberg, Y-A-C-O-V-S-T-E-I-N-B-E-R-G. Um, different things that I'm helping people right now. So I have a group coaching um, that I'm doing right now with people. Um, there's also one-on-one -on -one coaching. And it's really just helping them to understand how to sell without feeling salesy in a way that's going to be intentional, that's going to be customer-centric. Um, and more about service than anything else. And ultimately, 
it really enables them to just get to that next level. So if they've made it this far, they'll know quite a number of the clients I've worked with, um, whether that's you know people like Chaya Fishman, Hoodie Blah, Hoodie Greenberger, um, or Yehuda Greenberg, or some of the pretty well-known personalities on LinkedIn that I've, I've had the success of helping as my clients. Um, and most of my clients are able to grow their business by even 50% in the first 60 days of working with me at six-figure businesses. Solopreneurs, the numbers are higher, 150, 200% growth in their business in the first you know, 45 or 90 days, depending on you know, what industry they're in. Um, and I'm always looking to help more people so they can feel free to schedule uh, something on my calendar or just send me a DM. Amazing. Amazing, amazing. Thank you, Yaakov. And it was, uh, this was great. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Art of the Conversation, where we're having conversations about having conversations. What tips, tricks, what works, and what doesn't work. Um, we hope you enjoyed this episode. And in the show notes, you're going to see a link to our LinkedIn post. Please go and join us in the conversation. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you didn't like. Feel free. Offer some other things we should talk about. Join the conversation. 